in the broken society that we live in, one of the things that Fitzroy has done over 40 years has been to reach out across our traditional divides. And we've done that with our partnership with uh, Clonard Monastery, where in 1999, uh, Father Jerry Reynolds and my predecessor, Reverend Ken Yule, won the, the, the Pax Christie Prize for Peace. And it's always good to have the Unity Pilgrims with us. And when they are, you might as well work them. So Father Kieron O'Callaghan from Clonard is going to come and read the scriptures for us. Kieron, you're always welcome in Fitzroy. Thank you, Steve, and that I certainly know. This reading is taken from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2 and 9 to 21. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The word of the Lord. Well, that explains it. I couldn't quite work out earlier in the service why Paul talked about me talking about God as a creator later in the service, and then I should have checked the reading, because that's not the reading I'm going to preach on in a moment or two. (laughs) Apologies for that, but well read all the same, Father Kieran, and still the word of the Lord as we listen and ponder it. I did that one other time. I was, uh, this was early in my ministry. I was a young cub out somewhere in some 
congregation. Some were learning my trade. And I'd led the service right through to the point of the sermon. And um, took out the notes of the sermon just before I started to preach and realized I brought the wrong notes. So you have a choice then. You either look stupid by doing a sermon that had nothing to do with everything that went before, or you put your notes down and you take a jump. And I did that. And it's probably been my detriment ever since because uh, told me that if in doubt, I probably could. But uh, we'll not think exactly about Romans 1. We're going to Romans 12 in a moment or two. But let me tie it up in the dilemma I shared with you at the start of the service. What do we do about our culture, being with our society? We're in a series, if you're a visitor, on being with. We've been being with since um, September. I'm delighted to say that being with has marinated itself into the entire congregation. I rarely have a conversation with any of you now that at some stage of the conversation we're not being with either one another or those on the outside or the other in our divided society or whatever else. How can we be with our society where it is today? Three years without a local government. And in case we get upset about that, the three years in Westminster during that time hasn't suggested that governments are a great idea. And then two weeks ago, all of that that was going on at Stormont, all those laws coming into Northern Ireland that I'd heard was not supposed to be different than the UK anyway, but there you go. How can we be with such a society? Especially in 2019. Because there's so much uncertainty. Not only in our government, not only in our laws, not only in our society, but who we are as a church, where we fit as believers, and how we think about these things, and the differences of opinion in this room now that I value more than anything, but there are differences of opinion. How can we be with our society? And then last night, just outside the door, I was standing with the guys from the Real Music Club when someone suggested to Jim, who runs the Real Music Club, that it was an absolute travesty that they had that concert in a Presbyterian church where there are no other venues that they could have such a concert. We need to hear that, folks. We are the building that people think should be the last place that should have anything creative and artistic. Now, I'm not going into it today, but the hurt and the fallout in our society from what happened at that General Assembly two years ago, I got the brunt of it last night. And I was standing there going, Jesus, how did we get here? How can this person be so damaged in front of me and be suggesting it was your church that has damaged her? And what can I say into that? And how do we respond? And so it was more than objective theory 
at that point last night. It was emotional, subjective. What on earth will I preach in the morning? How are we to be with our culture? The being with idea came from the Reverend Sam Wells, and um, I'm delighted with that idea that he has that we shouldn't be for people. We should be with people because we can be for people from a distance, but God wasn't for us. He didn't send 39 books and leave it from outer space. He was with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Sam Wells led me into this series, but I'll be honest, as I've read some of the rest of his books, he hasn't helped me much with the detail of the sermon series. But this week, Scott McKnight did in a new book called Pastor Paul. I was going to ask Gary what he thought about it, but I thought I would ask him after the service, because if he told me it was rubbish before I preached, I would have had nothing to say today. In this book where Scott McKnight talks about Paul as a pastor and tries to write a book for the pastor, so suppose you're getting me trying to hear what I should be as a pastor before you, and that's never good because you can all just line up right now and say, no tick there, no tick there, no tick there. But what Scott McKnight would suggest if you read Paul's idea of a pastor is that my role in Fitzroy, if you'd allow me that role, um, that's another question worth discussing, would be to nurture your Christoformity, your Christoformity. There's an interesting word. I'd never heard it before. I think Scott McKnight comes up with it, so that's why we haven't heard it before. And I think we're in Romans chapter 12, where we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I think what Scott McKnight is trying to say is that that non-conformity to the world should be a different kind of conformity to Christ. A Christo-conformity. That each one of us should, through the pastor the session, just to take away my own blame, the leaders of your organizations, the band, and all that we do here should be centered on nurturing within us a Christo-formity. Now, what Scott McKnight then does in one of the chapters, particularly about society and culture, he goes into actually Corinthians, but it was too late in the week for me to shift it to Romans from Romans 12, even though Romans 1 was going to be read anyway. Uh, but he talks about the society that Jesus was living in, because it's very important that we don't read the Bible as if it was handed down somewhere into Faith Mission Bookshop or uh, whatever Amazon account you get, your, or some app that you get on your phone in 2019. Jesus and Paul after him in the early church were living in a specific cultural context that's important for us to grapple with. Hence the How to Read the Bible series on a Sunday night. Don't miss it. So Scott McKnight goes into one of the aspects of this culture, which was and I could relate to it. The Romanization of the world was a culture of status and position and power. You had to be somebody. And everybody wanted to be somebody. And being somebody was the very energy of everything that you did in your life. You didn't want to be the spoon fork 
heading for a bin, you wanted to be in charge of the free world. Or at least somewhere on the ladder up towards it. You wanted a good CV. You wanted to think you'd be voted in as an elder. And my take on the scripture is the only one that really had any kind of chance in Presbyterian terms of being an elder was Judas because he was good with money. The rest of them wouldn't have had a chance in Presbyterianism of being voted as elders or apostles. Which is the point. That's who Jesus chose. Because Jesus was not conforming to the Romanization of status and power and prestige and position. He was an antithesis of it. He was born in a manger. He rode on a donkey. He hung on a cross. He hung out with prostitutes and lepers and Samaritan women. He was in his life overthrowing the culture around him. Perfectly living in reverse of all that was happening. Now, I think that's where Romans chapter 12 becomes really interesting in verses 9 forward, which is why we were going to read those today. And those are the verses that were read, and this is a beautiful illustration of it. Those were the verses that were read at William and Kate, isn't it Kate? It's wedding. I found it amazing on the day that these were read. Let me find them. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. That the future possible king of Britain would use those words at his wedding were powerfully, powerfully countercultural. And they're a great illustration. Because you can have your Herod, and you can have your Caesar, and you can have your Pilate. They were the ones in the Romanization. They were the ones who were seeking the status, the position, and the parts. Why the Pharisees had almost betrayed themselves and sold their souls to the Roman Empire because they were worldly. They had fallen into the culture and the society of their day. And Christ came to do this transformation and make the disciples into this different way of living. That's why I think chapter 12, 3 to 7, that I didn't want read are important in this passage. Because that equality that we find between everybody, including the spoon fork and all the other toys, says that in this new kingdom, this alternative kingdom, this different vision, everybody in this building, no matter who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, how you're feeling, how little gifts you have, how great the gifts you are, whatever your BT address is, whatever house you live in, whatever car you drive, whatever job or status you have, that means nothing to God. Absolutely nothing to God. You're all the same. All equal. And all lavishly loved. If we went through the verses that I'd love Kieran to have read, we would find all these things that we should do when we're not conformed 
the anti-Roman things. Live at peace. There wasn't much of that going on. Do not use revenge. There wasn't a lot of that going on. Love. Honour. Serve others before yourselves. Bless others. And be humble. Humility is a crucial part of Christoformity. Humility. To get rid of our positions and our status and all that stuff. Oh, on Friday, we ripped up what Stanley wanted to do at his funeral. Well, I didn't actually. I think the family did more than me. I think I'm coming out of it better than they are. I'm not as frightened about going through those gates when we pass away as some of them are. And one of the things that he didn't want done was he didn't want anybody to be told he was the clerk of Belfast, that he was an elder at Fitzroy. He didn't want the forms of status and power. Well, in our culture, in our society, and in our funerals, it's very hard to get away from those things in our tributes. But Stanley was on to something. He was on to something. He knew that in the kingdom of God, he knew that on a Sabbath when we left all our jobs at the door, all our positions at the door, to worship equally before God, that those things were not one bit important humility. But here's the thing, and where I want to get to, (coughs) and I'm blaming family focus for going on a wee bit, but it had to and I wouldn't take any of it back. Here's the thing. It's the Christ that's important in Romans 12. Because you see, all those things that Paul says from 9 to 21, though he doesn't specifically say it, they're all the ways that Jesus lived. Humbly. Loving, blessing, no revenge. Put down your sword. Put me on a cross. Not speaking back. All these things are centered in the Christ that Paul was pastoring a Roman church into finding at the center of all that they were. I might come to it as my last words, but I've been reading an interesting book And I think many of you in Fitzroy would really, really enjoy it. It's called One Light Still Shines. It's by a woman called Marie Monville, who you will not know the name of, but you will know who she is. Her husband was the man who killed the Amish girls in that schoolhouse in 2006 in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It's her story. It's a remarkable story. A remarkable story about no clues as to what was going to happen, about literally watching what was happening as the helicopters went over her house, about trying to deal with what it was that her husband had done, about the Amish coming to her door and telling her father on the evening that she was forgiven and that they loved them, to going into the very hospital ward of one of the young girls who had some brain damage as a result of what her husband did. And finding that the parents in that ward came towards her and asked her how she was and how her family were and what about the children that they'd been praying for them and how they felt sorry for her because they grieved as husband and wife but she'd lost her husband in the midst of it. It's astonishing. That's not what the story's about. The story is how God led Marie through this particular time into a whole new life. But the Amish stuff is astonishing. It is 
Christoformity. It is not revenge. It is service. It is loving your enemy. It is so other societal, so other cultural, that it was all over the news. Oh, that that would be what people would say at the door of Fitzroy when there's a gig on. Oh, yes, this is the best place on earth for a gig. Because are these the people that forgave the killers, the killer of those Amish children? Oh, that that was the news in their society that we were in. Oh, that would be the Christiformity that we see in our lives every moment of every day. Oh, please, God, that we would learn something from that Amish response. But what about our culture? Definitely a bit like Roman or status. No question about it. People move into the area around Strandmillis Primary School to get their children to Strandmillis Primary School. In fact, people lie about where their children live to get their children to Strandmillis Primary School. And let me give you a secret, and you can put it on the stream, Botanics better. But oh, it's about status. It's about position. It's about the address. Oh yeah, we're still that. So unchristian, I can't even go there. But there's other things. I apologize to the... um, Kerry Home Group, because I think I've sent them down the road of Colossians Remixed, and I think they may be starting to study that. Here's what the writers of Colossians Remixed have preached that so long ago that most of you weren't members of the church at the time, but uh, uh, it's an amazing book by Sylvia Kiesmat and her husband Brian Walsh, and they say this, and I want us to listen to this good, we've only a few minutes left, but I want us to listen to this really good, because if we're going to be with our society, these are the issues in our society, and we need to be exactly the reverse of this. <coughs> they say, what is our culture like? In a culture of ubiquitous graven images and rampant consumerist idolatry, that's the culture we're to be with. It's a culture of rampant consumerist idolatry. Walsh and Kiesmatt say, we need Christian practices in business and environmental protection and in politics that will topple the idols and energize an alternative economics of God's kingdom. For those of us in economics, those of us in commerce, you are at the evil end of the society we live in. You have the toughest of jobs. And how we as a church help you to Christoformity so that you're on the news as the opposite of what's going on in a rampant consumer idolatry, we need to help you be that. In a culture of disconnection, Walsh and Kiesmatt go on, we need Christian scholarship in the academy and psychological practices in the community that see things whole, cohering in Christ. A culture of disconnection. That's what we've been at in this whole series. That the greatest problem at the heart of our society today is isolation, disconnection. And that's why on Friday I go, praise God that I'm a member of this fellowship and this community, because on Friday I watched as Betty McDowell was enveloped 
and connectivity. She was not isolated. She was surrounded by love and connection and Christ-like compassion. It was the gospel preached. It was Christoformity in all its glory. Thank you for that, but let us do it for those today who are disconnected on the streets outside, disconnected in communities outside, refugees, asylum seekers, people who feel excluded from the world, We have to be like Christ and find the leper, the tax collector, the Samaritan woman, the people that Jesus was with are the people we should be with. And here's my warning. When you find yourself mixing with the people that Jesus mixed with, you will lose your status and your power and other people's opinions of you. Start hanging out with the Jesus people and it's not likely you're getting voted an elder in many Presbyterian churches. Disconnection. We need to be an antithesis. They go on. In a culture of power as truth, we need servant communities ministering to the most vulnerable to demonstrate the truth is on the cross. Jesus' cross was not just something he did in order to take away our sins in some legalistic way. This cross is what we should be. This cross is the center of our personalities and our characters. We die to self. There is a decay within us. The old nature of things is crucified. Crucified. And we become the servants that Jesus was on the cross to everybody we meet, whoever they are. Whatever they say to us, whatever they do to us, we get rid of power because I believe when I spoke about the ascension on Friday at Stanley's funeral that the Jesus who sits at the right hand didn't suddenly become another Jesus that he'd been on earth for 33 years and put on power and get a machine gun and some tank or other and rule up there like the powers of Rome. He was still at the right hand of the Father as a humble serving God. That is our God. He's compassionate, he's passionate, he's loving, he's humble, he serves. We need to be the same. Finally, believe it or not, these are their words. In a culture of radical uncertainty, thank you that somebody understands. In a culture of radical uncertainty, we need preaching and liturgy that builds the body of Christ where truth takes on flesh. Guys, if we just come here because we need to come and kind of say, very humbly, if I'm going to do anything in this Christiformity, you need to be here more. Sorry, you do. You just do. You just do. Being with means being with, not being for from as many places as we could be for from. Being with us, Brent has already said today, is about being in the community of God as many times as you can possibly be in the community of God. But whatever we do here, whether it's singing hymns and singing new hymns or old hymns or hymns you like or hymns you don't like, whether it's prayers that are incredibly articulate from those who are amazingly gifted in our church to do it, whatever we read, whatever I preach, however good Paul's gospel according to uh, children's films are, unless this truth becomes flesh, unless we become humble, self-sacrificial, servants of those we meet next week, then actually, I don't know why we're meeting at all.
to be truthful. No idea what we're meeting for at all. Because Christianity is not some nicer, cleaner, no smoking, no drinking, no sex before marriage kind of life than your friends are living. That has got nothing to do with it. This is about the strangest, weirdest people on earth who when everybody wants to be after status, we're humbly serving in the dirtiest, most unexciting corners of the earth. I told you it before, but when I went the first time on of the townships in Kyalicha, oh Brent, the best moment yesterday, Brent, the best moment yesterday was when your winger flew in from the side just after the English commentator had said, and South Africa have never scored a try in any of their World Cup victories. Oh, they were about to. And as they ran round the line, he said, the boy on the townships runs in to score the try. The townships of South Africa celebrated yesterday, and not many of them did in 95, and certainly not many of them did 10 years ago. But that's not my point. My point is this. When I got on there, I was amazed to find that Jesus was already on the townships. I found Jesus in the marginalized. Oh, even more than I find him in most other places. And the same night I went to a church not unlike this, in Claremont Methodist, near Newlands, where all the Afrikaners shop. And they said, where two or three are gathered, God, you're in the midst. And he was. But I looked out and I thought, he might be here, but I know where I'd prefer to find him, and I know where he's going to be far more tangibly found, and where he would rather have found him. Which is with the marginalized, on the edges of our society. In the last number of weeks, probably during this series, I've realized something. We are not going to fix our society. It's broken, and we're broken, and we're fallen, and on this side of glory, it ain't going to be fixed. But boy, can we redeem a whole lot of it by living an upside-down kingdom, by living Christ-centered lives that are so different than the world around us that will not be recognized. The book, the book One Light Still Shines, the daughter of the killer, Charlie, says to his mother at one stage, after an amazing amount of redemption, because it's a phrase that Marie uses in the book a lot, it can't be fixed, but it can be redeemed. Her daughter looked at her and said, Mummy, the good that God's doing means the bad is not so bad. Guys, could we go out into the week and be the good that God's doing? Because I would love it at the end of next week if we could all say to ourselves, well, the good that God did meant that the bad out there, oh, it wasn't fixed. But it wasn't just as bad because there were some people that weren't rampant consumers. There were some people that weren't disconnected. There were some people that weren't as uncertain. And there were some people that didn't live for power, prestige, or status. That people would meet Christ the Christ of the cross in me. That's my prayer for the week ahead. Let's pray.
Lord, salt and light. Christ-centered in a world that's fallen and broken and dark. One light that still shines. But Lord, maybe we've been wrong to see ourselves as particles of light because that's such a small little glow. Lord, if we live this gospel that we believe in, that we read every week, that we preach about every week, that we sing about every week, that we say we believe in every week, Lord, if that truth became flesh, I know there would be more than particles of light across Belfast. There would be glorious beams of light across Belfast. So Lord, start with me. May you start to decay the old nature of me. And may you put upon me this Christoformity that I might see Christ, that I might follow Christ, that I might love Christ, that I might be passionate for Christ, that I might be compassionate like Christ, and that this week in the world I live in, people who meet me would meet something different because Christ lives in me. May it be so for us as individuals and as a community of believers for the glory of Christ. Amen.